Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 7, verse 18 through 28. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into, into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. When then did you go out to see? What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will repair your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Risen. Um, it's great to be with you guys uh, this morning. Um, it's really excited to be here week after week, being able to gather as small and as scrappy as we are, um, just trying to serve together, trying to worship together, trying to catch a glimpse of God's glory, uh, that it might affect us and transform us and just really move us to um, just be better people and be uh, followers of Jesus that make an impact in this world. And so thank you guys be, for being with us this morning. Uh, we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, and today we talk about John the Baptist again and his doubts. And something that I know that many of us have struggled with before, or even now, is doubts about God, right? Whether it's doubts about whether he's real or doubts that... Um, he is good to us and for us. And today we look at the doubt of the greatest prophet of all time, John the Baptist. I have three points for us this morning. The reality of our doubts, the reason for our doubts, and our assurance. Our first point is the reality of our doubts. And so to give some context for John's uh, situation and his doubts, we have to look back in Luke 3, where we were first introduced to John the Baptist, and he's this prophet that prepares the way for Jesus, the Messiah. John preaches about this coming kingdom of God. He calls people into repentance. He's this fiery prophet that doesn't mince his words. He wasn't a people pleaser. He was set on the truth of God, and he called things out as he saw it. And one of the person that he called out was Herod, the steward king of Israel, because Herod, he had taken his brother's wife, Herodias, for himself, 
Luke 3, 19 uh, and 20 gives us this account. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him, reproved by John, for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, Herod locked up John in prison. It didn't matter if Herod was the king of Israel. John didn't play favorites. He spoke the truth, and he was put in prison for calling Herod out. So that was in Luke 3. And in our text today in Luke 7, the story jumps back to John the Baptist's current situation, and he is stuck in prison. He's in the solitary dungeon in King Herod's castle, and he's hearing news from the outside. He gets reports from his disciples about what Jesus is doing. Verse 18 says, The disciples of John reported all these things about Jesus to him. And so as John hears these reports, he's confused because not everything that he has preached about Jesus lines up with everything that he's hearing Jesus do. In Luke 3, uh, 16 and 17, this is what John was preaching um, about before. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So this was John preaching, right? John believed that Jesus was coming with a fiery judgment to overthrow the corrupt religious institutions, the corrupt Roman governments. But instead, he hears reports about Jesus befriending prostitutes, going to parties with tax collectors, inviting them into his life. And on top of that, John, who has been so faithful, he's stuck in prison with no help from Jesus. And so John, he's probably asking is Jesus just going to be out there at parties or is he going to do something about the political and the religious corruption? Where's Jesus? When he's, is he going to free me? And so John, this great prophet, in this moment, he begins to worry and doubt about Jesus. The same Jesus that he had baptized, the same Jesus that he witnessed to miracles, the same Jesus that he preached to everybody. Preach, preach to everybody about. And so he says this in Luke 7, verse 18 and 19. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? The Barna Group is a Christian polling firm, and in one of their polls in 2017 about faith and doubt, they found that 66% of Christians um, have experienced or are currently experiencing doubt. Millennials, of which I'm a part of, are the biggest generational group to experience doubt at 38% of all of these Christians. That's pretty big. There are different reasons that we might experience doubt, but one of the big reasons is that when you believe that God is there to protect you and that He is there to protect you from harm and be there for you, and then you experience suffering, something seems off, right? It causes you to question God whether He is actually watching out for you. There's a very good chance that all of us here will at times experience your faith being shaken because of the negative things that you go through in life. And like John, your expectations of God, they're not met. 
you're not sure if God is there for you. Right? Maybe you're going through a physical sickness. Maybe somebody you love is sick. Maybe you're in a dark season struggling with depression and loneliness. Maybe there's marital and relational brokenness in your family. Maybe you feel like you're wandering through life lost, jaded, cynical, spiritually spent because God feels so distant. The heartache and despair that we feel and that John felt in that prison cell, they're real. And we begin to ask, where are you, God? You know, when faithful people, um, even faithful people in the Bible uh, had doubts about God, this is well documented, Job, who was a very righteous person, he had his doubts about God's fairness when he had no idea why he went from material riches and prosperity all of a sudden to death and shambles. Abraham, he had his doubts about God's promises to him about having a child when his wife Sarah was 90 years old, seemingly barren. Jesus' close disciple Peter, he had his doubts when he failed to walk on water when Jesus was right there next to him. And Peter, again, he doubted Jesus when he denied that he knew Jesus because he was scared after Jesus was arrested. And here in our text, John had his doubts because he's stuck in prison about to die. You see, church, suffering is real. Doubt is real. But to a large degree, it's okay to have doubts because it's a process of growing in faith. It helps us ask questions and look for answers and find clarity and understanding. And through much prayer, it can give us a bigger picture of what God is doing in our lives. Through much prayer, it can deepen our faith in Jesus even further. Pastor Mark Sayers, he says this, Doubt is the blank parts of the canvas which is being filled with the color of belief. When my kids, they were younger, um, they would ask a lot of why questions um, and they would worry a lot uh, because they didn't have this big picture of things that were happening. So they would ask, why are we doing this? Why are we going here? And I would try to explain to them most of the time impatiently the reasons and the importance of doing certain things. One of the questions is, Why do we need to get shots at the doctor? They didn't have the bigger picture. They were just focused on their worries of the immediate pain that they were about to feel. So they had to learn and trust that Lauren and I, we weren't doing anything bad to them. Yes, they would feel the pain of the shots, but they learned to trust that it was to protect them. You know, it's okay that they ask questions because that's how they learn. You know, sometimes um, the suffering And the difficulties in life can be so bad that our doubts run really deep and we begin to have tunnel vision on our own suffering that we lose sight of the bigger picture of what God is doing in our lives and in the world. We shrink back into seeing things from our own tiny personal worlds and this is when we begin to doubt. Theologian and pastor Phil Riken, he says, John's personal difficulties started to dominate his perspective. He was in so much distress, it seems, that he could no longer see what God was doing, either in his own life or in the world at large. 
You know, church, when we get into times like this, we begin to ask, just like John, are you the one, Jesus? Are you the one that is going to deliver me from my troubles? Or should I turn to somebody else? Let's expand a bit more on this in our second point, the reasons for our doubts. So the reason John had his doubts, the reason why he asked Jesus if he was the one is because Jesus was expecting a more militant Jesus that was going to bring in a new earthly kingdom. He was expecting Jesus to bring deliverance from his Roman oppressors. But that then panned out. That's not what Jesus was doing. And so when John asked, are you the one or should we look for another? Jesus he replies, he clarifies. Verse 21 and 23. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So here, Jesus replies to John. He's showing John two things. First, he claims very explicitly that he is the Messiah that the Old Testament prophet Isaiah is talking about. He gives four references of Scripture in Isaiah to affirm that he is the one. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news, preach to them. Jesus is the Messiah. All of Scripture was pointing to Jesus. Second, Jesus shows the type of kingdom he is establishing, and it's one of healing and restoration and salvation. It's not about political power. It's about the healing of the sick, compassion for the poor and outcast. It was about preaching the good news. And so Jesus, he's showing John that this is the type of kingdom of God that he is bringing. He's showing with scriptural evidence and empirical evidence that yes, he is the right one that John is talking about. He is the Messiah. He's saying to John, yes, John, I am the Messiah that you've been talking about. I am the king that you've been preparing the way for. I am the one that is going to make all things right again. And this kingdom is about healing and salvation. And then Jesus leaves it at that. That's all he says. There's no promise of immediate physical deliverance for John. There's no promise that John's situation was going to get better. And it didn't. It got worse. He was never freed. He was eventually beheaded by King Herod. The greatest prophet of all time, the most faithful and passionate man of God who baptized Jesus and even prepared the way for his coming, was left in prison and beheaded. Risen, what does that tell us? about what it means to be a follower of Jesus living in his kingdom. First, we need to understand what the kingdom of God isn't. It isn't about our personal, material, prosperity, and comfort. 
We're not saved by Jesus so we can live a comfortable, pain-free life. And I know that's not easy to hear. You see, when we believe that being a follower of Jesus is supposed to grant us some sort of immunity card from suffering and pain, then we're going to have very, very wrong expectations of what God has called us into in this kingdom. A wrong understanding of the kingdom of God is the reason that we feel tension in our faith. This is the reason we begin to doubt that God is for us. One of the moments of doubts that I've experienced was when I was coming out of college and I really wanted to be a cop. I had friends that were cops. They loved their job. Um, my father-in-law, um, he was um, a lifelong police officer. He loved his job, and that really inspired me a lot. So I put a lot of my energy and hope into becoming a police officer. Throughout the course of two years, I applied to multiple um, departments, I had a few interviews, and I got pretty far with one department, um, and near the end of the process, I was pretty hopeful. I was like, oh, I'm going to get in, right? I made it. Um, I, so I went through a physical, a few interviews, a background check, psych evals, a lie detector test, and then I get a mail in the letter. It said they weren't going to move forward with me. There was no reason for it. That's just what they said. And so I remember that night. I was um, at home living with my parents at that time. I just had dinner, read the letter, walked outside, sat on my front doorstep in the dark, and I cried. <laughs> ah! <laughs> it was sad. <laughs> um, you know, I asked God, why did you put me through all of that hoping, all of that planning, all of that praying just for this moment? You know, I thought I was a pretty good person. I thought I was a pretty faithful person. I genuinely wanted to be a cop for the glory of God, whatever that meant to me at that time. And so I was angry at God for not meeting my expectations. You see, my expectations of, God, who, of who God was and who and what he was doing in my life, it was off. I thought God was supposed to take care of me in the way that I thought I needed to be taken care of. And I know this example goes nowhere near the real pain and suffering that a lot of you have faced, a lot of others have faced. I know it's nowhere near John being in prison, about to be beheaded. But my point is, is that our expectations of God are incorrect if we think that being in the kingdom of God is about us being in a kingdom where our personal purposes are served where our comforts and our prosperity in this life is all met. That's not what this kingdom is about. And so that's the first thing we need to understand about living as followers of Jesus in his kingdom. The second thing we need to understand is what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom's purpose is about selfless service and sacrifice to love and care for others. This kingdom is about speaking the truth of the gospel, sharing it with others. Let's look again at verse 21, 23. I think it's still up here. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he has bestowed sight, and he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached them. 
and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. You see, Jesus poured out his entire life to love, to serve, to heal others, to preach the good news of his salvation and his coming kingdom. Jesus didn't care about accruing things in life. He didn't care about the comforts in his life because he knew that there was a greater purpose at stake. It was about the salvation of the world. He didn't even have a secure home to sleep. He said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. His purpose was to bring this eternal kingdom and bringing us into it. He says, blessed are the people that are not offended by who I am, by what I have come to do, by what this kingdom is about. John, he also gave his life for this kingdom. Jesus says this about him in our text, verse 24 and 25. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. But that's not who John was. Jesus tells the crowds that John is a scrappy dude that lives in the wilderness. He doesn't care about luxuries, prosperity, wealth, dressing in splendid clothing. John didn't live for anything, live for any of that. His purpose was set. He just cared about preaching the good news, welcoming Jesus, telling others about this kingdom. You see, Jesus and John, they lived selflessly to love and serve others. They lived to bring the gospel to people. They didn't live for themselves. They didn't live for the prosperity and comforts of this life like so many of us do. I want to say again, I'm not against having nice things, but we need to ask, what are we living for? This may be the reason for a lot of our doubting. We have the wrong understanding and expectation of what the kingdom of God is and isn't. Our expectations of Jesus are off when we think that our goal in life is to shore up for ourselves comforts and to minimize our pain and suffering and then getting mad at Jesus when things don't play out the way that we think it should. Risen, living in the kingdom of God is about following Jesus in sacrifice and service and loving our neighbors, living, loving people in our cities, loving our world. Living in the kingdom of God is about sharing this transformative truth of the gospel, about Jesus' love and salvation to others. This is the purpose and call of our church. And this is the purpose and call to each of us as followers of Jesus. This brings us to our last point. And I'll close with this. Our last point is about our assurance. Jesus says in verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus tells people that essentially John was the greatest person ever. 
And we see that John, he was a faithful man of God that lived for the kingdom. He preached the truth of God, even if it meant he was going to be imprisoned and put to death. But even this great prophet of God, even he doubted. Reason none of us will ever be as faithful as John. And man, we waver and doubt God for much lesser things. And yet, Jesus says that even the least of people in his kingdom are greater than John. Jesus is talking about us. We are greater than John. How is that possible? You see, as faithful as John was, even to the point of death, even he doubted. He wasn't the Savior, but he pointed to the one that was the Savior. Jesus, he was faithful, even to the point of death, but he never doubted. He never wavered. He was certainly distraught as he had to endure the cross, but he never doubted his mission for us. He never flinched, even as he was strung up on the cross to die for us. Jesus, the King of glory and majesty, who is all-powerful, he leads the way in this new heavenly kingdom by becoming the least of us, by coming down, giving up his heavenly glory, coming down as a human in weakness to suffer for us, to shed his blood for us, to die for us, so that we would be forgiven of our sins, we would be healed of our brokenness, we would be given salvation back into the presence of God. Risen Jesus is our servant king that becomes the least so that we could become great in his kingdom. Jesus goes through the greatest and ultimate suffering for us on the cross so that ultimately we will never suffer again one day. And so even when we doubt Jesus now and ask him where he is in our suffering and pain, he has already had his heart and his eyes set on us the whole time. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is always working towards our ultimate good. How do we know? We just look to the cross. We look to the cross where Jesus displays his greatest love and sacrifice for us. We look to Jesus and his salvation that he has already given to us on the cross. Our assurance of faith It doesn't come by us trusting harder, trying to believe harder. It comes through faith, by looking at Jesus. What Jesus has already done to secure our faith, to secure our place in this eternal kingdom of God that he is moving us closer and closer towards. And one day in this kingdom, there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. We will never doubt again. Jesus Christ gives us the greatest assurance in himself. So risen, come to Jesus with all of your doubts and all of your heartaches. Put your trust and your faith in him. Find your rest and assurance in the Savior. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, 
we are amazed by your gospel. We are amazed by what you have called us into. Father, even when we fail to live up to the standards of the kingdom, even when we fail to live up to your standards, you don't put us to shame. You don't guilt us. You come down to us. You cover us with righteousness and forgiveness and love and grace. The kingdom, Father, is about all you have done for us. And we are privileged to be a part of your kingdom. So we pray, Father, again and again that you would teach us the gospel of love and grace that you have given to us, that it would transform our hearts to live for you, to love others, to think beyond our own little personal kingdoms, to look into your kingdom. So we pray, Father, that this would shape us, this would mold us, this would break our hearts to constantly seek you, to constantly rely on you, to know that it's not up to our strength to live out this life, but it's up to you, Father, to uphold us, to sustain us, to remind us of your love, your gospel. Let's do that for us this morning. Be with our church. Make us a people who live bold lives of love and grace in your kingdom.